So uh, at the last chapter that we looked at uh, in, in Second Peter, the, uh, chapter 1, Peter, he's telling us, and I'll give a little recap. He says this. He says that people will die, but the word of God will endure, right? We talked about that, the three things that I talked about at the end of what I was talking about last week. He said people will die, but the word of God will endure. Matter of fact, Peter is about to, uh, he says, basically, I'm about to take off this tabernacle, this this body. I'm about to lose because I know I'm about to die. I know I'm about to be executed, and I'm about to lose this. And how many know that even though Paul and Peter have passed on, the word of God has still endured? Billy Graham passed away. The word of God still endures. Uh, it doesn't matter, you know, you can go through history and even though great men have gone before us, the word of God endures. So uh, the other thing that he said is this, that experiences will fade, but the word of God will endure. So, uh, you know, how many love a good experience with the Lord? I love that. Peter, talking about the transfiguration, he saw something amazing there at the transfiguration. He's saying, you know what? The word of God endures. And he goes, those moments, I remember those moments, and they were great. There's nothing wrong with moments. But let me tell you something. How many know through time, sometimes those experiences, they, they begin to fade. We forget how great they were. But how many know that when you pick up the word of God, it always sharpens it, and it always reminds us of how good God is. Amen? And then he says this, as the world gets darker, the word of God shines brighter. And how many know that we can relate to that to, to, to today and where our world is at and where our uh, 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 culture is at? So uh, I don't know if, if you look at that little bit of teaching, that is good teaching for the flock right there. It's good teaching. So um, Peter was a fisherman by occupation, but he was a shepherd by the commission of Jesus Christ. You remember Jesus there at the Sea of Galilee. What did he say to Peter? He said, what? Feed my sheep. He didn't say cast, well, he did say cast your nets out. But he didn't say cast your nets out for people. No, he said, what? Feed my sheep. And then he also said this. He said, tend my flock. And he also said, tend my lambs in, in John chapter 21. So Peter understood that not only was he uh, an apostle of Christ, but he was he had the role of a shepherd or a pastor, and it's almost the same word, really, if you if you look at those. And so, what do shepherds do? This is real simple. You know what? This is a good job description for any pastor. Number one, uh, you know what my job is to do? Feed the flock. It is. Well, what do I feed you? This good word of God, this endless supply. Uh, 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 man, if you will just open this up. And so I, that's what we are attempting to do here on Wednesday nights to continue to feed the flock. But here's the, here's the, a matter of fact, Paul um, would say this in, uh, to the Ephesians in, in Acts chapter 20, 28. He, he would say that, hey, I, my job is to feed my job. Paul, Paul, not Peter. I know what I'm saying here. Paul, uh, he would say that. He goes, my job to you guys and to the Ephesians is to feed the flock. Continue to feed them, but then look at this. But here's the second thing that a shepherd does. A, a shepherd also is to warn the flock. Okay? It's not, you know, part of my job is to feed you, 
But another part of my job is to warn you of the devices of, of, of the enemy, uh, the devices of people at times and things, um, and to make sure that, that you know where harm may lie. Uh, how many know that the de devil is cunning? He's wise. He's been around. Um, he's seen some things. He knows how people's nature. And so, uh, so number one, Peter was to feed the flock. Number two, Peter was to warn the flock. But and, and even Paul would reiterate that in Acts chapter twenty, verse thirty, just two verses from what I what I mentioned earlier. He, you know, he talks about this warning them of false teachers in that moment. So, so if for if a shepherd, here's what happens: if a shepherd only feeds the flock, you know what happens? I'm fattening you up for the kill. That's what happens, right? I'm just fattening you up for the kill because guess what? You're just, you know, you're just, you're just feeding and you're getting, just getting, you know, uh, you know, I, I just, just keep eating and eating and eating and you're not warned about what the devil is doing and the devil's just sitting there waiting to get his, his meat hooks into you. So, um, so this is what happens. So here in chapter two, we see Peter doing a good bit of shepherd, shepherding after, after feeding us in chapter one. He begins to uh, warn us and the early church. I think it, that he's warning the early church here, but he's also warning us today. Uh, I love being inspired by the Holy Spirit of false teachers and prophets. And that, um, you know what that tells me? That he cares about us dearly, that he cared about us dearly. You know, sometimes we take correction the wrong way. Now think about this. Some of you parents know this. When you correct your kids, you don't do it because you enjoy it. You do it because you care about your kids and you want them to be good people and good citizens and, and do what's right. So, so that happens. And so, uh, so I, I love this. So here he begins to kind of talk about false prophets and teachers that are coming. So look at this. Chapter 2, verse 1 says this. But false prophets also arose among the people just as there will be false teachers among you. Just like there was false prophets of the early church, guess what? Today, there are false prophets and false teachers. How do you sift through all this? How do you know who is a, who is a false teacher and who is not a false teacher? There's a lot to unpack here. Uh, who will secretly, he brings, some, he brings some things here, who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, okay? How do they bring them in? Secretly, cunningly, quietly. Oh, man, this happens a lot. Uh, uh, who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even, look at this, denying the master, talking about Jesus. Notice uh, I, in my translation there, the, the word master is capitalized, meaning that, that that is Jesus Christ who bought them, bringing up with, uh, uh, upon themselves swift destruction. So, um, just like there was false prophets in those days, there's still false prophets today. So, some false teachers, here's what, here's what you need to know. Some false teachers make no claim of being prophets. They just go out and they begin to teach and they begin to distort Scripture. Okay, they don't call themselves false prophets, but they go out and they begin to teach something that's distorted and wrong. So, um, so Peter, he gives us three things that, that uh, see, now you know why I work in three. So Peter gives us three things things to help us identify a false prophet or a teacher. Number one right here, their secretive approaches or uh, destructive heresies. And so 
they they have they have a kind of a hidden agenda type of thing. They're um, they're they're kind of cunning. They're not they're not quite there. And how many know it's important to to have discernment? One of the best things that you can pray for as a believer is God give me discernment so I can understand. Hey, if I'm listening to someone and it just isn't checking right with the Holy Spirit within me, something's not right. Here's what here's another thing that makes someone a false prophet. Denying Jesus Christ as Lord. Well, that one seems like it's pretty simple and plain, right? But you would be surprised. Uh, people who preach, uh, you know, under the, the headship of, of a church who deny that, that Jesus Christ is Lord. And you'd be surprised the, the kind of people that follow uh, some, some people. And I'm not, I'm not here to... To knock on anybody, that's not my, 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 my goal tonight. My goal is just this, to warn you, okay? Look at this. Here's the next one. They, uh, number three, abrupt departure from the Christian community. So oftentimes, um, these people will say, I have this. Uh, God has given me this, and you know, and it, it doesn't line up with the word of God or, or whatever the case. And, so, and then they have this abrupt leaving of the, of the Christian community. So here's number two right here. Verse two says this, and many will follow their sensuality. There's a lot to unpack in that little bit of, uh, of scripture right here. So the, how many have a King James version? All right. The King James version says uh, pernicious, right? It's a big word, big word right there. Well, what does that mean? Lascivious. Did that help? Probably not. Okay. Here's a little bit. The word lascivious can be broken down to this, loose. What does that mean? People that are teaching loose things morally, the truth loosely, the Bible loosely. Listen, I, I love this statement. Um, you know, uh, you know. Sometimes pastors say this. Man, they say that 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 is tight, but that is right. And the word and the truth is always. Tight. It is not loose. You don't have. It is. It is black or white. Whether you like it, disagree, it doesn't matter. The truth is the truth, right? So look at this. So uh, loose. The New King James says destructive ways. So the Greek word means immoral or shameful. That sensuality there. So false teachers they glory in the privileges of Christianity, but they tr they treat its its moral demands with indifference. Did you catch what I just said there? I know there was a mouthful there. False teachers glory in the privileges of Christianity, but treat its moral demands with indifference. So false teachers are loose with the truth, and they're loose with their morals. They, they will follow their own desire over the Lord's. You know what that means? Also known at, as not being surrendered to the Lord. It's not saying, hey, not my will, Lord. Remember what Jesus, not my will, Lord, that your will be done. It's, Lord, I want to do this because me. Look at this. And because of them, the way of truth will be blasphemed. So the King James Version says the way of truth will be uh, evil spoken of. Um, Peter here uh, is uh, prophesied that due to their loose lifestyles, false teachers would give a black eye or a bad name to the Christian community, right? Okay, every time a pastor has a moral failure, what happens? Christian community, we get a, we get a black eye, right? Because people are, of the world are like, look, see, 
We, we told you. We told you. You know what? You're no better than us. Look at you. You're, you're doing these things. Anytime someone in a Christian uh, community uh, has a failure of any sorts, you know what? We see jokes about them on late night TV or whatever the case or political shows, and they begin to say, hey, they're no better than us. Or they begin to make documentaries left and right. Come on, somebody, right? About the fall of this person or whatever the case. In the last few years, the church has seen some high-profile ministers and preachers and, and people in ministry fall. And listen, every time, every time something like that happens, man, the world looks at the church and says, yeah. You know, and your friends that maybe aren't saved say, why do you go to church? Because, look, that guy fell. So, you know, what makes this part? But here's the thing. For every pastor, high-profile pastor that falls, listen, I want you to think about the thousands of pastors in this nation who are living right, doing their best day by day, and just following the leading of the Lord. Amen? All right. Thank you. Uh, so, uh, th- so think about that. The world, the world looks, at, looks at us when a high-profile, um, you know, someone falls or they, they fail miserably or whatever the case. Verse 3 says this, and in their greed... They will exploit you with false words. This is talking about false teachers and false prophets. These false teachers are led by greed. Led by greed for the love of money. Right? Led by greed. And here's what happens. They'll take advantage of their followers in order to enrich themselves. That's tight, but that's right. <laughs> so what motivates them? Here's what happens is they, they, they're making merchandise of God's people. They're, they're not desiring to feed the flock, but they're desiring to fleece the flock. So it's not about shepherding them. It's about fleecing them, taking advantage of them. So look at this. The next part of this scripture says their uh, condemnation from long ago is not idle, and their destruction is not asleep. So, um, I, I tell you what, there are a lot of gimmicks uh, that I've seen in in churches and in ministries, or if you want to call them ministries or whatever, and and merchandi- merchandising and uh, to make money in the name of spirituality, right? Okay, I'm going to give you some examples, I'm, and I'm not calling anybody else out on this. I, I promise you this is not a knock. Listen, I understand the church, it takes money to operate ministry. It, it does 100%, and listen, you ought to do what God has asked you to do. But listen, you ought to be also very discerning of what, what things look like, okay, how to, how to look at things. So, you know, um, for a long time, people were selling splinters, okay, splinters, of what they said was the original cross that Jesus died on. That, that, that's mind-blowing, isn't it? That people, and for centuries, people would buy these splinters, so-called from the cross, and have them, okay, pay big money for them. And, you know, it's been calculated, I, you know, at one point they calculated all these splinters that went all over for centuries or whatever. If they were to pull all those splinters together, there would be enough wood to, to create the Mayflower ship. You know, that's amazing. It's a wonder why Jesus dropped the cross because it was huge, right? It was big. No, no, it's not what I'm saying. I'm saying, you know, there are people that have these gimmicks and these these merchandising things and, you know, or, or you know, you see them, you know, 
you know, give this gift and we'll send you uh, uh, some holy water from the Jordan River. Come on, somebody. Right. So 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 we look at that. And so hear me out. I'm not talking about supporting real ministry, but I I'm talking about selling gimmicks for personal gains. And let me tell you something. When I see those kind of things, it grieves my heart. As a shepherd, that grieves my heart because some people fall prey to that and they think, oh, I'm just trying to trying to do what's right. And, you know, I'll, I'll get a piece of this or a piece of that. And 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 matter of fact, you know, that grieved Jesus's heart, too. You remember when Jesus went into the temple and he saw them, they were selling the doves there and, and the sacrificial animals there. And, and, and what did Jesus do? He drove them out with a whip. He drove them out with a whip because he said, my father's house, it, it, it will be a house of prayer. It will not be a, a, a den of thieves. It's not, it's not for, for people to profit off of, but it's to build the kingdom of God. And this is what I always have to look at, man. And I'm very discerning. Try to be very careful with this. When, when I give or when I, when I support, whatever the case, I look at it and say, God, I pray, Lord, that this builds your kingdom and not any man's kingdom. And not any man's ministry, Lord, but your ministry. All right, look at this. Verse 4 says this. For if God did not spare angels when they sinned, but cast them into hell and committed them to chains of gloomy darkness to be kept until the judgment. So some might say this. Well, you know, I, I get it. My favorite, my favorite, you know, preacher has maybe did a little bit of this merchandising, a little bit of this kind of gimmick tree at times. And but you know, you gotta know they're they're really good people and, and you know they're just okay. But here's what that bit of scripture says. Peter says this if God will throw the angels who, who, who have sinned against God and who have done these things, if God will, will cast them into hell, what makes you think that God will not do that with a person? God didn't spare the angels who sinned, so why would he do this? So why would God allow false teachers to do this? So uh, we're, I promise we're going somewhere with this. I promise we're going somewhere with it. Look at your neighbor and say, hey, hey, we're going somewhere here, all right? Verse 5 says this. Uh, if he did not spare the ancient world, okay, so he, God didn't spare the angels. God didn't spare the ancient world, but preserved who? A herald of righteousness with seven others when he brought a flood upon the world of the ungodly. I begin to think about this. When God, you know, here's the, here's the thing. Noah could have made a ton of money. In reality, because he could have said, hey, you get on this boat, you'll save, right? In today's world, that's probably what you would see a lot of people. Get on this boat, God will save you, but it's going to cost you this much money or whatever the case. But God shut the door, and this is what God does. When he saw the world polluted beyond redemption, what did God do? He flooded and destroyed the earth and put it out of its misery. All but eight and then two of each kind. And then seven of the of the clean animals, you know, you know how the story goes. So so and, and, and it's like, hey, let's start over here, uh, you know, and, you know, we use this word in covid, you know, this the big reset. Is this was the original big reset. God's like, OK, hey, let's get all this out. Let's let's start over here. So so we look at that. So but God made a way. This is interesting to me. Look at this. Verse six. If by turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah to ashes, he condemned them to extinction, making them an example of what is going to happen to, to who? To 
an ungodly. Oh, so whether it's it's a world, look at this. So whether it, Peter's telling us whether it's a world, whether it's a city, or an angel, the worship leader in heaven, Lucifer, God does not look highly on falsity of the truth. John 17, 17 says this, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. Titus 1, 2 says, God cannot lie. God can only speak the truth. And so God cannot lie. And, and, and so uh, God is full of truth, and he deals with false teachers. Okay? He deals with false teachers. He deals with, with false cities. He deals with people of false nations, and he deals with angels accordingly. I, I, I heard this once, and I, th- I think this is beautiful. Why doesn't God deal with things right away? This is, this is how God works. The wheels on God's judgment may turn slowly, but they grind thoroughly. So when someone's in a falsity or fallen, hey, listen, it may be a slow process to us, but let me tell you something. When God gets done, it is a thorough thing, and it is fixed. Look at this, verse 7. And if he rescued righteous lot, everyone say righteous. Greatly distressed by the sensual conduct of the wicked, verse 8, for as the righteous man lived among them day after day, uh, he was tormenting uh, his righteous soul over their lawless deeds that he saw and heard. So Genesis chapter 13, I love this little bit of scripture. We learn that Lot, uh, Lot is Abraham's nephew, and there uh, together Lot has went with Abraham. God commanded him not to take any of his family members. We know the story. Lot goes with him, and in the process, God is still blessing Abraham. If God says he'll do something for you, he'll continue to do those things for you. But Lot is with him, and Lot is being blessed because of his, he's locked in with Abraham because God's blessing Abraham. And as uh, they begin to grow, their flocks begin to grow. And then what happens? They're in a land dispute between Abraham's, uh, you know, shepherds and Lot's shepherds, and they're fighting over who gets to feed here and who gets to water where. And, you know, it's just not working out. And then Abraham goes up to Lot and he says, hey, this is not working out for either one of us. This is what I'm going to do. Lot, you get to decide where you want to go. If you go left, I'll go right. If you go right, I'll go left. And and we won't argue about this. And this is what it says. It says that Lot lifted his eyes up seeing the grassy hills there around Sodom and Gomorrah. And he said, I want that. That's the thing that I want. Abraham said, okay, you go that way, and I'll go this way. And that's what, what Lot said. I, he, he, and he settled on the green, hilly area surrounding Sodom and Gomorrah. And it's interesting. Lot lifted his eyes, but he, he didn't lift them high enough. See, here's the thing. If you're praying about some kind of transition in your life, listen, listen to me. This is good counsel. This is, this is wise counsel, okay? If you're, if you're thinking about transitioning a job, if you're thinking about moving, if you're thinking about doing all these things, I understand you can write these pro lists and these con lists. If I move here, if I take this job, you, know, you can write all those things. But here's what I want to tell you. Don't be like Lot and just lift your eyes up to where you can just see green pastures. Because though it was good for his flocks, we'll find out it was terrible for his family. 
So not everything that's green is always right. So look at this. Matter of fact, if, if Lot would have looked a little bit higher, if he hadn't stopped where he saw the grassy hill, if he would have looked a little bit higher to the Lord and asked ask him for wisdom is what James 1, 5 says. Look at what the Lord said he'd give it to us generously if we ask. I see green pastures. That's what I want. So look at this. After, after living around Sodom, so look at, look at this perpetual process with Lot. After living around Sodom, just being there, the Bible says this, that he, they put their tents up and they faced the city where their tents, when they came out, they could see the city. You, you know where I'm going with this. You know what happens with us in our lives? You know what? When we get closer to sin, we begin to kind of get like, hey, curious about it? Look at this. So Lot, not only are they around the city, but now they're starting to see what's going on in the city, right? Night lights of Sodom and Gomorrah, the loud noises that are coming from there. It's like, oh, that's interesting. And that's what sin does. It promises green pastures and sparkly lights. Then in chapter 14, look at this. Where do we see Lot? In the city gates. In the city gates. It, okay, so he went from outside the city. He went from, from being there. He got a little bit closer. He got a little bit closer. And you know who hung out at the city gates? The city council people. So he finds himself, hey, in a leadership position there in Sodom and Gomorrah. Getting a little bit closer and a little bit closer, right? And, and so there he is. And, and so he is, he is in Sodom. But this is what happened. After God's judgment you know what happens? He ends up in a cave. This is this is crazy. After God, uh, you know, sent the angels in, and this is this is crazy. I, I, the fact that Lot is righteous, the Bible says that he's righteous, amazes me, because you know the angels came and visited them, and when they were there, there was men that were pounding on the door because they wanted to go in and be with these angels. They wanted to rape these angels is what basically what they were saying. And Lot was like, hey, uh, you know, these are my guests. You can't have them. But here you can have my daughters. Now think about that for a moment. That's crazy. That's just crazy, crazy thought. And then what happens is they, they, they blind the city and then they make a run for it. Lot and his family leave and his wife looks back. You know the story. She turns to a pillar of salt, and they keep going, and, and, and there they are. And, and then he finds himself in a cave with his daughters. Lot finds himself in this cave. And the Bible says that they begin to seduce him, and he got drunk, and he began to, uh, they seduced him, and they had relations with him. And out of them became, came two, two people, Moab and Ammon, which are people that, that would fight against the nation of Israel. There would be a nation born out of these two two uh, uh, young men that came from this terrible situation, and these enemies would fight the nation of Israel. That's a crazy story, right? It's like, boy, that's, that's exciting. Thank you for that. I, how many are, feel uplifted in your heart after that a little bit, right? And you know what I would say? The Bible says this. I mean, go back to that scripture. It says, uh, if he rescued what? Righteous lot. Uh, righteous lot. It, it, it blows my mind that God would even call him call him righteous. I when I look at when I look at Lot, what I do is I look at him and I say he's a marginal believer at best. He's got a lot of flaws, Lord. But scripture otherwise, three times in scripture it calls him righteous. Matter of fact, Peter calls him righteous man who was who was vexed by what he saw day after day in Sodom. Even though he was there in the city, he was still troubled by what was going on. 
He was bothered by the sin and the pollution and the, and the filth of the city. He was, he was righteous enough that he was saved by the angels when God destroyed the city. You guys know the story. Uh, and I'd advise and I'd counsel you to stop and think before you criticize somebody. Just give you a little bit of wisdom here. When we, when we condemn somebody, listen, you don't know what someone, what's going on in someone's heart. We may say, hey, they're in Sodom. I, I know they are. I, I can see them there. And we don't know what's, or she's in sin or he's doing this. But, but we must not judge them because, hey, we don't know what's going on deep in their heart. If there's anything I've learned about pastoring is I don't always know what's going on deep in somebody's heart. Here's what I do know. Scripture says this, we're not heart inspectors, we are fruit inspectors. Do you know there's a difference? I don't know what God is doing in your heart, but I am supposed to inspect fruit. I'm supposed to look at your life and say, man, I'm not seeing this fruit that's coming out of your life. That's, that's one thing. So, as a matter of fact, Scripture says you shall know them by their fruit. But Jeremiah says this about the heart. He tells us that the heart is deceitful. And that includes my judgmental one and my, my judging others' hearts. And, and matter of fact, he says this, who can know it? Who can know the heart? It's, it is, as a matter of fact, the psalmist says this. He says this, search my heart, Lord, and see if there's any wicked way in me in Psalms 139. So what are you saying? This is what I'm saying. If you can't even judge your own heart, what makes you think you can judge someone else's? Ah. Uh, Man, I do know this. I knew I know that God can change a heart. Amen. And listen, and 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 I, I think there's moments, man, we gotta love on people. We gotta speak the truth of the gospel. The good news is this. Here's the good news. Here's the good news. How many want good news? All right. Here's the good news. You have been justified by Jesus' work on the cross. If you are a believer in here, you have been justified by Jesus' work on the cross. You know what that word justify means? It means as if you had never sinned. You have been made right. Matter of fact, Scripture tells us that, that the Lord, when he forgives us of something, he forgets about it. How many are grateful for that? Oh, man, that's exciting to me. So Christianity is not based on good ideals or good views. What do you mean by that, you know? how to raise your children and this. I think those things are important. But Christianity is based on the good news of Jesus Christ. All right, look at this. Verse 9 says this. Then the Lord knows how to rescue. Th okay, before we get into this verse, I want you, if you're a marker of your Bible, highlight that thing, underline this verse, circle this verse. Okay, I'm going to tell you why here in a minute. Verse 9. Then the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from what? From what? And to keep the unrighteous under punishment until what? The day of judgment. How many believe that God is omnipotent? How many believe that God is in control of all events? Uh, you know, um, he, uh, he delivers uh, the, the godly out of, out of their trials. How many believe that? How many believe that uh, the unjust will not escape the day of judgment? How many believe that? All right, all right, this is good stuff. And I believe, okay, this is me, me personally, I believe that this is one of the most powerful proofs that believers will not go through the tribulation. This verse right here. 
This verse right here, uh, what is that? The tribulation, the period of history uh, that is described in Revelation from chapter 6 to nine, uh, 19 when a just God will pour out his judgment on a Christ-rejecting world. That's what, that's, okay? That's what I'm talking about. Um, think about this for a moment. Let me give you another example. When God was going to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah, going back to them, you know what happened? God talked to Abraham first. He didn't have to. You remember that? But he went and talked to Abraham. He said, Abraham, I'm going to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. And what did Abraham do? Man, I, there used to be a show on TV where um, this guy, I, I love to watch people barter. Anybody like to watch people barter? It's one of my favorite things. Okay. You, you guys, I must be boring then. I just like to watch people barter. There's a guy that I like to watch online, and he goes in, with, and he starts with like a penny, and he'll trade with people, and he like tries to get up to like a car. It, it, it's amazing to watch him in this process. He's like, I got a penny. What can you give me? They're like, I'll give you this lamp. And he's like, sweet. And then he'll take that lamp, and he'll barter. But this is an amazing story. When God spoke to Abraham, and, and he said, hey, I'm going to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah, and what did Abraham say? He and 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 it's and the reason that God spoke to Abraham, I, I will add this. The reason that God spoke to Abraham is because Abraham was good to teach his his children. He he was passing the truth along. Okay, what are you saying? The more hey, the more that you pass the truth along, parents, the more that you pass the truth along, uh, minister or or teacher or whatever, you pass the truth of God's word in. God will just keep pouring in and give you new insight, okay? So look at this. So he's there, and God goes and he speaks to Abraham. And Abraham says, hey, Lord, I, I want to throw this out there to you. If there's 50 righteous people in Sodom and Gomorrah, Lord, will you, will you spare the city? And God says, yeah, I'll spare the city if there are 50 righteous people. And then here goes Abraham, what, well, Lord, you know, it's kind of like a kid. I'm going to test the water here. I'm going to go a little bit further. If there's 45 righteous people there, Lord, will you spare the city? And the Lord says, yeah, I'll spare the city. And then he says, okay, I'm going to go out on a limb here. This is a big one. How about 30? God says, if there's 30 righteous, I'll spare the city. Abraham says, why not go a little bit further? It's kind of like our kids, right? They go a little further, a little further, a little further. If I can get $5 out of you, I can probably get $10 out of you, right? And, Lord, what, what about if there's 20? I'll spare the city. And it's amazing to me. Abraham gets down to 10. He says, what, what, Lord, even if there's 10 righteous, will you spare the city? And God says, I will spare the city if there are 10 righteous. you got to think that Abraham's thinking in his mind, okay, I know there's Lot, I know there's his wife, I know they're his daughters, and I know that they're married. So there's six. So surely they've had a little bit of influence, and there's at least four more righteous people in that city. And you know the story that, that, uh, that there was not, and that the Lord followed through with what he said he was going to do. And the Lord knows how to deliver the godly out of temptation. So God made a way for Lot. When there was no way, right? He, he made a way. How many know that when we uh, were covered by our sins, God made a way by his son, Jesus Christ, that we could be redeemed by the blood of the lamb. Amen? 
I love this. I, I mean, when I begin to talk about this, uh, man, it gets me going. The Lord knows how to deliver the godly out of temptation. The Lord knows how to deliver uh, people out of judgment. The Lord knows how to deliver out of destruction. And he did this very thing for Lot and his family. And here's what I, what I believe. I believe that he will deliver believers before he pours out his wrath on, in the tribulation. Before the tribulation happens, God will snatch up his bride. Say, well, you know, why do you say that? Well, time and time again, God delivered the godly out of judgment in scripture, the children of Israel out of Egypt to the promised land, right? Oh, I think it's I think there's so many beautiful pictures. How about this? The Song of Solomon, man, she's calling out for for her 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 groomsmen to come and she's like she's she she's just wanting him. How about this? How about the story, the parable of the ten virgins, you know, and, and five had their, their oil ready and five did not. And so there's just story after story in the scripture that I believe that points to this pre-tribulation taken out. You can believe the other if you want. I'm out of here. That's how I believe. I, I'm going to be out of here. Amen. Verse 10 says this, and especially those who indulge in the lust of defiling passion and despise authority. Bold and willful, they do not tremble as they blaspheme the glorious one. So they despise authority. So uh, these, these false teachers, these people, they despise authority. Despising government. Someone say, well, put me in that list, right? Um, and that's not a political statement, but it, this is a spiritual one. I, I want to show you something here. The unseen spiritual realm are people those who who believe that the unseen spiritual realm does not exist? They refuse to believe in it. Right? There are there are there are people that believe that, and there are those who indulge in the lust of defiling passion. What does that mean? My own desires. I want. I want. Give me. Give me. Give me. Give me. Give me. Give me. Right? And this is what I know. My own desires always lead me astray. And I've seen ministers who live like this and are more about self-help and push away things and are hush-hush about spiritual things sometimes, right? And this translation says the glorious ones, the King James Version renders it, I think in this case, a little bit better. It says dignities. Everyone say dignities. Or the Greek word is glories. Uh, I'm not saying that, that this ESV got it wrong. There's, there's a little, just a little wordplay here. Um, but this is not earthly dignitaries, but Ephesians chapter 6 hierarchy of angels and demons. This is something that, that we don't even maybe understand at times. We wrestle not, right? It's flesh and blood. But of what? Against principalities and, and these, this, this order. Matter of fact, Matthew Henry says it like this in his commentary. He says, impure seducers, talking about this verse, impure seducers and their abandoned followers give themselves up to their own fleshly minds, refusing to bring every thought to the obedience of Christ. Come on, somebody. And they act against God's righteous precepts. They walk after the flesh. They go in. Uh, they go on in sinful courses and increase to greater degrees of impurity and wickedness. You know what we call that? You know what uh, we, we would call that? Backsliding. They're just getting a little bit worse, a little bit worse. Look at this. Verse 11 says this. Whereas angels, though greater in might and power, do not pronounce a blasphemous judgment against them before the Lord. So what does that mean? Peter is talking about um, 
angels here. And in, this, in the book of Jude, uh, we read that Satan was after the body of Moses. And super interesting. Why? Well, I think the devil knows something that we don't know. And I would say this. The devil probably knows the word of God better than all of us in here. He, he, he contorts it. He twists it. You know, he tried to twist it against, against uh, Jesus there. He tried to tempt him. And, and you know what? You know how Jesus combated him? With the word of God, with the truth. Hey, hey, devil, you're giving me a half-truth here. I, I, I'm going to give you what the word of God says. So, but he knows the word of God. And, and something that I believe, and you may not believe in this. Listen, I, it's not going to affect your salvation if you don't believe this or don't believe this. Uh, do or don't believe this. But, but he's trying to prevent Moses, who will most likely be one of the two great witnesses in Revelation chapter 11. He's trying to prevent him from coming back. And he's after his body. So somehow he thinks if he gets Moses' body, he can stop this from happening. But, but in Jude, the scripture says this, Michael the archangel protected the body of Moses. It's interesting. How many knew that that was in there? Michael the archangel protected the body. But look at this. Jude tells us that Michael the archangel, he didn't rail accusations against Satan. He didn't, he didn't taunt Satan. But rather, this is what he did, but rather called upon the name of the Lord to rebuke him in Jude 9. So look at this. He didn't revile, revel against Satan, but he simply said this, the Lord rebukes you. The Lord rebukes you. So this is interesting to me. So sometimes, man, and I've seen this. I've grown up in, in, in Pentecostal churches, and sometimes I think people are well-meaning, and I think they're, that they're trying, they're, their hearts are right, you know, they're trying to do what's right. But sometimes we incite, uh, you know, things, and we and, and have said things where we, we mock demonic powers and we mock Satan at times. And let me tell you something. It's not a very smart thing to do because let me tell you something. On your own, you cannot stand. On your own, you cannot stand. But this is, this is what, uh, wise is the man or the woman who, like Michael, puts the Lord between themselves and the enemy. You know what, devil? I put Jesus here. I speak the name of Jesus. Not because I'm good, but because Jesus Christ who lives within me is good. Listen, I only have the authority over the enemy because of Jesus Christ. Not on my own. I can't do it on my own. But I only have the authority over the enemy because of Jesus Christ's finished work on the cross. So here's what I'll do. I'll let his name be a fence around me. I'll let his blood be a fence around me. Look at this. Verse 12 says these says this. But, but these like irrational animals, creatures of instinct, born to be caught and destroyed, blaspheming about Matters of which they are ignorant will also be destroyed in their destruction. Verse 13, suffering wrong as the wage for their wrongdoing, they count it pleasure to revel in the, uh, the daytime. This also refers to false teachers as irrational animals. Um, what do animals do? They respond to their present circumstance only. Right? If you pull out your dog food, what does your dog do? Starts wagging its tail because it thinks that you're about to feed it, right? But your dog wouldn't care about the kibble that you're about to get it if he knew that you were going to have pork chops and you were going to have pork bones for him later, right? Your dog would be happier about that. But they only live for the moment. They only respond to the, to the present circumstance, uh, circumstance around them. 
uh, and they haven't really thought about the consequences of their action. Let me give you a good example right here. Uh, sometimes you go fishing and sometimes you catch the same fish twice. Why? Opportunity. I'm only worried about eating at this moment. That's what that fish thinks. Or maybe you've put out traps and you've caught the same feral cat twice or the same possum twice, right? Some of you know what I'm talking about. And they don't really think about that, but but revel here is, or, or, or riot, if you have another translation, is, is not like a riot where we're throwing stones and bottles at a building, a government building. No, it actually speaks of false teachers who flaunt their sinful life, lifestyles in the name of liberty. Hey, I am free. I can live this way because. So look at this. The next part of this says they are blots and blemishes, reveling in their uh, deception while they feast with you, verse 14, they have eyes full of adultery, insatiable for sin. They entice unsteady souls. They have hearts trained in greed, accursed children. Verse 15, forsaking the right way, they have gone astray. They have followed the way of Balaam, the son of uh, Beor, they, they, who loved gain from wrongdoing. Verse 16, but was rebuked. For his own transgression, a speechless donkey spoke with human voice and restrained the prophet's madness. This is interesting to me. So reaching back to the Old Testament, Peter, he pulls out this, this great story here, and he says this, that greed was the motivation behind Balaam's, uh, 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 that was the motivation uh, of just like what he had, that's what false teachers do. So look at this. So this, this prophet, Balaam, was called by King Balak, and, and because some three million Israelites were heading their way, and they said, hey, who can we talk to? There's this prophet Balaam. And, so, and the king went and sent out to see Balaam, who, and then he said, you know, hey, and Balaam began to pray and said, Lord, what should I do? Should I go? And the Lord said, no. Everyone say no. So then they send that back. Then the king wants to see Balaam, and so he, he sends more powerful men to Balaam's home, and and, and, and he prays, and, and, and the Lord said no. Everyone say, the Lord says no. But then he says this little thing. I, I'll come if you give me this little house of gold. Hint, 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 right? Kind of throws that out there. So Balak then returns uh, sends and, and returns to Balaam with a house full of gold. So Balaam prayed uh, uh, again, and God said, hey, hey, if you're going to keep pressing me, fine, do it your your way. Have it your way, Burger King. You know what? Go for it. You know what? If you want onions on that Whopper, go for it. If you want, if you want, but I've already told you what you're going to do. And, and, and he says this, but don't say anything I don't tell you to say. So Balaam gets on his donkey, and he, he goes to see the king. And on his way, God intervenes three times, sending an angel Blocking the path. Only the, only the donkey saw the angel. And he stopped. And what did Balaam do? He beat on his donkey because it wasn't going where it was supposed to be going. And he tried to beat that donkey into submission. And, and Balaam became so angry that the Lord allowed the donkey to speak in his self-defense. Why are you beating on me, Balaam? I don't know about you. I would, that would freak me out. <laughs> trick, trick. I want waffles, right? That's what makes me think of. <laughs> and, and Balaam, 
you know, uh, he, he, he reached Balak finally, and, and, and the Lord told him, or Balak told him, said, hey, speak a curse on the people of Israel. And remember, God told him not to go, but a house full of gold got him there. And you know what? Remember when he tried to speak a curse on the people of Israel? He what? Could not. He could not. So, but, but my whole point in all this is this. God told him not to go, but because of riches, he decided to go. And how many are so glad that God is gracious to us? When we mess up, we make mistakes, God will put a donkey, put an angel in the middle of the path and have your donkey look at you and say, stop beating me right now. Remember, God, God told him to, to go, but a, but a house full of gold spoke louder to him than the voice of God. And I say, hey, God, help us. If we ever get to that place, God, help me. Oh, everyone say, that's tight, but that's right. All right. Something that helps me uh, keep my perspective in ministry, no matter where I serve and what I do, is this. And, I mean, this, is, this has been my mantra from the beginning. And, and I'm not saying this in like, a, like, like any weird way or anything like that, but I hear my heart here. This church had a pastor before I came. This church will have a pastor after I go. Say, are you going anywhere? No, I'm not going anywhere. I'm just telling you, this helps me to keep my perspective. Listen, uh, the Lord's kingdom was here before me, and the Lord's kingdom will continue on after I'm long gone. You know what that tells me? <laughs> the word of God endures. The kingdom of God endures whether I'm here or whether I'm not here. So I ought not think so highly of myself that, that this thing will fall apart if I disappear because it will not. Amen. So I've determined this. This is what I've determined in my life. I'm going to latch on to what God is doing and try to get myself out of the way and just hang on and say, God, you just take us where we need to go. Amen. I don't know about you, but I, I can do more being a part of the kingdom of God than I can trying to do it on my own. Verse 17, I promise we're almost done here. Uh, these are our waterless sprigs and mist driven by a, by a storm. He's talking about false prophets here. For them, the gloom of utter darkness has been reserved. Verse 18, for speaking loud boast of folly, they entice by sensual passions of the flesh of those who are barely uh, escaping from those who live in error. Verse 19, they promise them freedom, but they themselves are slaves of corruption. I want you to pay attention to this little bit of scripture. There's, there's some really potent things here. For whatever overcomes a person, to that he is enslaved. So um, these false prophets, they often speak of liberties and uh, that that uh, these false teachers they're they're like this. Hey hey, come here, come do this. And and but what what they really are is like a dried up well in the middle of the desert. Anybody ever been stuck in the desert with no water? Not a good thing. Not a fun thing to do. But these guys are in the desert and they're out here going, Hey, are you weary? Are you tired? Hey, come here, I got something for you. And then you get over there and there's no life and there's no substance. And they're promising things to travelers. Hey, I, I've got something that I need to give you. And this is what happens when that happens when we follow things like that. That keeps people, that keeps me from getting to the truth uh, by being a deterrent. It's getting me out of the wrong way rather than going to the real spring of life, Jesus Christ. In this Greek expository uh, uh, 
commentary, it says it like this. They utter <laughs> ponderous nothings and allure through their lust those who were just escaping from the temptations of a heathen life, promising freedom to others. They themselves are slaves of corruption. Everyone is a slave to that which has mastered them. There's a lot of potency in that little bit of, uh, of commentary there. So Peter, he's warming up, warning us that it's extremely uh, appropriate for us today because the last days, more and more, will start to teach on their own imaginations. They'll follow their own agenda. You ever seen how the world tries to mimic the church at times? Oh, I can give you some good examples. I don't want to go off on a, on a tyrant right here. I mean, hey, listen, uh, when I was in college, man, I, they used to make us watch all these TED Talks. Man, it, 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 boy, it sure looks like a church service. It's a worldly thing. It's a worldly thing. And they, they talk about things that will change you. And this, listen, the only thing that will change, man's empty words will not change you. Only the word of God will change you. Only the word of God will take a dead man and bring him to life. Only the word of God can change a sinful man to a whole man. Amen. So I'm sorry, I didn't mean to get, get on that. So, but what happens is these things, they creep into church subtly and they seem spiritual even if we aren't careful and they lead people astray. If you've been around church long enough, and Tanya, you, you've been around church long enough, you begin to see some things and you begin to understand some things. Here, I'll give you a couple of examples. Oh, please don't throw a songbook at me. Okay, we don't have songbooks in here. All right, we're good. Here's another one. Here's what I want to talk about. Number one is this, and I see this a lot, sloppy grace. What do you mean by that? Grace, 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 grace. Hey, Pastor, you preach on grace a lot. Yeah, I do preach on grace a lot. It's only by God's grace that I, I'm alive. But grace does not give me a license to sin. It gives me freedom from sin. It gives me the ability to live above sin. All right? They use grace and, the, and freedom to, and they, they use verses. And, 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 but honestly, grace is, it should deter us from sin. Grace is not a license to sin, but a license free from sin. So, and, and what would Jesus say oh, to the woman of the, turn away from your, your, your way, you know, change your life, right? Do a 180, the what you were, I am not anymore, right? So here's, here's another one right here. I'll flip it, flip the coin here. How about this? Legalism. Oh, that's not popular, Pastor. How about this? You can't go to heaven unless you dress this way. You're not really saved if you're not this or you're that, right? Oh, I just flipped that coin really fast there, didn't I? And we see this in a lot of people, false teachers on both sides on this thing saying, saying this. You know, it's not enough that Jesus saves you, but God, you got to look this way to get into heaven. It's by grace you have been saved. Not so I can sin, but... It's been, it's, but I, it's by grace that you've been saved. It's not anything that I do. It's not anything that it's what he's done. And that frees me uh, uh, from the curse of sin. So look at this. Verse, verse 20 says this. For if after they have escaped the defilements of the world um, through the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are again entangled in them and overcome. The last state has become worse for them. Than the first. So basically, hey, it was better for them before than to try to do this and then get tangled in it even worse. Verse 21, for it would have been better for them never to have known the way of the righteousness than after knowing it to turn back um, 
from the holy commandment delivered to them. Verse 22, what the true proverb says has happened to them. The dog returns to its own vomit. Amen. Praise the Lord. Shout me down on that verse, right? So Peter, he likens false teachers to dogs, and he defines such dogs as those who said, hey, it's not enough to simply believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. you got to do this. And in that time, they were saying this. There was this group of Jewish people who believed in Christ, but they said, hey, it's not enough that you believe in Jesus Christ, but you also got to be circumcised. You also got to go through this process. You have to, you have to do all this. And, 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 and they, they basically they were saying this Christianity should be painful and misery proves spirituality. That's what they're saying. Philippians 3.2 says, watch out for false teachers. Watch out for sinful men. They want you to depend on the religious acts of becoming a Jew for your hope. Paul would say that. He would go on to write a whole book in the book of Galatians dealing with legalism. Being set free from legalism. So, I don't know. If you watch a legalistic uh, preacher or a person or a parent, you'll see the truth of, of Peter's analogy. Because, uh, oh, man, I'm, I'm trying to be very careful here. Listen to me. Because they'll yap and they'll bark at you like a dog. You need to do this, 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 this. Then they will eventually return to those tendencies and activities which they pre- preach so passionately about and say, oh, wrong. Look at this. Here's the next one. Everyone say dog. And the sow, after washing herself, returns to the wallow in the mire. So in addition to being dogs of legalism, we're to beware of hogs of hedonism. Everyone say hedonism. So what is hedonistic? It is this, to live a life for pleasure. Living my life for me. Living it for me. So look at this example. Um, You can give a pig a bath, right? All my 4-H people, woo! You can give a pig a bath, right? You can blow dry its hair. You can, you can put a bow on its head or a bow on its tail. And you can put makeup on its face, right? Pigs, are, pigs will let you do that. But if you put a pig back outside, it's going to go back to its natural environment, which is the mud and the mire. No matter how much you dress it up, <laughs> it's, it's, its nature is to go back to the mud. I don't care what kind of makeup you put on it. So, but what I'm saying is this, wise is the person who can realize those tendencies, the false teachers, but, but be aware of them within, within uh, yourself. What are you saying? Don't be a dog. Don't be a hog. Be balanced. Don't be legalistic. But don't be so, so free to, to, to just go back to your own nature, what I want, God. So here's a recap of all this. Listen, I know there's a lot in this. This whole chapter is against false teachers who preach anything but Christ. Or it's this with Christ, okay? You ever hear someone say, hey, it's this with Christ? Walk away. Walk away fast. Run away. It's against false teachers who are fleecing the sheep instead of shepherding them. They're merchandising them versus, you know, shepherding them. Here's the next one. Peter is addressing false teachers who follow their own sinful ways and lead people astray from the truth. Follow me. I know. Follow me. I have this revelation. Follow me. It's this way. The Bible says this, that God cannot lie. God is the truth. He is the definition of the truth. Now, the world doesn't like that. I know that. But may we be a people who always point people 
to the real Jesus. And that's my prayer, and that's my hope. Listen, hear my heart, hear my heart. I'm not perfect by any means, and I need to go back and reread this over and over and over and over and over again because it helps to keep my perspective right. And listen, we ought to be that, we ought to be light, and that builds the Lord's kingdom and not our, not our own. Amen? Amen. Will you bow your heads with me? Lord, I pray right now, God, for every.